Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach and Moed Katan, daf Chav Vav, page 26. We're really in our last stretch. We've got about four dapping yet. Want to remind everybody about our upcoming Siyum, God willing, uh, next Sunday um, at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and uh, 5 p.m. in Israel. We will be hearing from my brother again, who spoke to us uh, for Shkalim, Dr. Michal Osban, uh, about life in the time of uh, the Mishnah, which I think really uh, Moed Katan describes in an interesting way, thinking about what activities were allowed or not allowed uh, during uh, Chala Moed. Um, and sorry, I should just mention that that's February, Sunday, February 13th. Um, we will be beginning Chagiga this month, and then our Siem for Chagiga will actually be on March 6th. So two Siems pretty close together, actually, uh, which is exciting. So this stuff uh, really deals with a lot of the halachot around Kriya, about rendering one's clothes, uh, and um, just a lot of different areas about this. And it starts off with an interesting uh, uh, brisa, which the first two words are actually on the previous stuff. Tanu Rabbanan, right? Our sages taught. These are rents, right? In other words, tears that are never allowed to be mended. So if you tore your clothing in mourning over your mother or your, fa- your father or your mother, um, over your teacher who taught you Torah, on the nasi or the head of the beitin, um, uh, what this means is some type of very bad news. So this is a euphemism. It literally means uh, God's name being blessed, but what it really means is God being cursed, like some type of public Hilul Hashem, Val Sefer Torah Nisraf, a burned Sefer Torah, Val Yehuda, on the city of Yehuda, Val Hamikdash, Val Yerushalayim, and on the Beit, uh, the Beit Hamikdash, and on Yerushalayim. In other words, if you see the ruins uh, of all of those, then you need to, um, then you need to tear. Uh, the, and if you tear, right, you can't repair those. But if he tears for the temple, you don't need to make a separate tear for Yerushalayim. You can just uh, add to it. Um, and so then basically what the Gemara does is it's going to go through each of these examples, and it's at least going to try to prove through text uh, sort of how do we learn this. I want to just point out two things that I thought were interesting here. The first is, is that for Avivimo, Viraboshalim da Torah minalai. Right, so father, mother, and teacher, and it's interesting that they categorize these three all together. On the one hand, it makes sense because it's about an individual relationship, right? The next two people that are mentioned in that brisa are the nasi and the abbatim, which obviously a person would not have an individual relationship with. Um, but these are people who there's an inti- an intimate individual relationship with, and so they learned it interestingly from Alicia and Alicia's relationship with Eliyahu. So Elisha saw, this is talking about when Eliyahu Navi goes up, you know, in that storm um, and he cried. He said, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And that's a pasuk from Lachem Bet, chapter two, verse 12. And so the Gemara basically says, Avi, Avi, Zet, Avi, Vimo. Avi, Avi is referring to your parents. Right, and that the chariot of Israel and their horsemen uh, refers to a teacher who taught uh, who taught Torah. 
And so then the Gemara says, my mashma, right? How do we know that this really refers to a teacher? Kim Mitargaman Rav Yosef, as it was translated by Rav Yosef, Rabbi, Rabbi, the Tabluhun Israel B'Tzilote, Martikin Uperashav, right? Where he said, my teacher, my teacher, who was better for the Jewish people with his prayers than an army would have been with chariots and horsemen. So it's interesting that Rav Yosef translates Avi Avi, not as my my father, my father, but rather he translates it as Rabbi Rabbi, which I think is actually a pretty liberal interpretation of the text. It's really not uh, what the text itself itself it's, itself says. And then it goes on. How do we know that you can't actually mend these? So the continuation of that pasuk is was that Elisha tears his garments, right? Um, is that he tears his garments into two pieces, right? And so from here we learn that they have to remain two forever, right? He makes like these two, they're, they're basically <laughs> torn into the garments that he's wearing and they're not, they have to be, they have to be lishnayim uh, forever. They have to be two uh, forever. Then Rish Lucky's asked an actually interesting question on this was, Amrle Rish Lucky's to Rabbi Yochanan. Rish Lucky says to Rabbi Yochanan, Right, Eliyahu Chayu. He says, but Eliyahu didn't die. He actually was alive. Amar lay, right? And so he said, And so Rabbi Yochanan answers him again. The rest of the pasuk says he saw him no more. Elisha never saw Eliyahu again. That for him it was like he he died. Whether or not he actually died, what that means that Eliyahu goes up uh, to Shemaim. But the point is, is that it's the experience that Elisha has. Uh, that he, uh, <laughs> you know, it's the experience that he has uh, th- th- that to him, it is like he actually died. So I just thought it was interesting that, first of all, father, mother, and Rebbe are sort of lumped together. And the source of it, of the relationship between Alicia and Eliyahu is also interesting. We're not really getting Aviv Imo directly from um, a, a someone who, like a story of somebody who rent their garments over a parent. I think the reason for that is because it's obvious that this would apply to Aviv Imo. It's the teacher one that actually needs the proof. Um, and so therefore, you know, th- that's what they need to do. Uh, you know, that's why they, they need to spend a little bit more time with the teacher one. And I think it's interesting, therefore, where you have a V Avi and a Pasuk to sort of link the experience of losing a parent, right? Losing your mother or your father to the experience of, uh, of losing, um, of losing a, uh, your your teacher, um, and then I want to skip down to another one, which is the ones about uh, you know uh, about uh, the Migdash and Are Yehuda um, and, and all of these things. And so later on, it says um, uh, uh, So it, so later on, it says the following: al Migdash al Yerushalayim. So it says you can tear on the Migdash, and then later on you can add to it if it's for Yerushalayim. Um, and what's interesting about that is, right, is, first of all, if you think about it, how is it possible that a person could sort of get into Yerushalayim, right, like that you would sort of see the Mikdash ruins first without seeing the ruins of Yerushalayim? Like that's what's a little bit, uh, that's a little bit what's strange here, right? And so therefore, the Gemara brings the following brace that contradict this, Uraminho. Okay, so he says, right, someone who both hears that Yerushalayim is in ruin and someone who sees the destruction, 
Once he gets to basically hard Sophim, right, Korea, he has to rent his garment. So he has to tear separately for the temple and separately for Yerushalayim. So a couple things to unpack here. The idea here that somebody would sort of like hear about this later, like what is this Brisa talking about? Is this in the future? And I actually, when I read this Brisa, I thought about the experience of some of the Ethiopian Jews that when they came up to Yerushalayim, right, they actually didn't know that the temple had been destroyed. And therefore, they tore Korea when they learned because they, you know, they were, uh, had not been informed of, let's say, many, many years of Jewish history. And some of them had actually thought that the temple was still standing. So I get, like, I don't know, there's something very prophetic about this particular Brisa because we can't have the assumption that everybody would have heard everything in real time as it's experienced. The way is, is that it's basically saying, uh, you know, that you actually have to make a separate tear for the temple and for Yerushalayim. And our Mishnah says, it's what the Brisa says, our Mishnah says you can add on. If you do the temple first, the Mikdash first, you can add on. And so then the Gemara basically answers, lo kasha, right? This isn't difficult. Ha defagaba Mikdash Barisha. So this Brisa, uh, again, is talking about when you reach the temple first. Right, Our mission is talking about when you reach uh, uh, the uh, uh, that price, which says they have to make separate ones. Sorry, the first one is when that you get the mikdash first. Is our is our price? Excuse me, I called it a mission before. Is our price that we said at the top of the daf? Um, and this second price that we just said, where it said you have to make two separate tears, is talking about when you get to Yerushalayim first. You would do Yerushalayim and then you do the mikdash. I just want to point out the Mepharshim spend a lot of time trying to figure out how is it that you could possibly get to the Migdash first and not Yerushalayim first. And so they described maybe different routes that one could take where you would actually end up seeing the ruins of the temple first from afar. It's not that you're up close to it before you would actually see the ruins of Yerushalayim. So it's an interesting little piece here because it doesn't totally make sense when you think about, um, you know, the actual layout and what you would see first, right? You would obviously go through Yerushalayim first and get, then get to the Mikdash. But the question is, if you were traveling, would it be possible to sort of see the area of the Beit HaMikdash first destroyed, right? It's on a hill. And then you would sort of see the ruins of Yerushalayim. So I, I thought these were two interesting, uh, you know, how the Gemara deals with the question of Avivim over Rabo and the question of Mikdash and Yerushalayim um, as the Gemara describes it. Um, I want to comment on just one thing that you mentioned, because you've said a whole lot. And I think that some of what you said will actually come up in what I'm going to talk about. But I just wanted to respond to this point about Yerushalayim, that we tear Kriya when, right, that we, when you tear Kriya, when you haven't seen the old city of Jerusalem or the Kotel, I guess most people really treat it as the, the Kotel itself. The idea if you haven't seen the Mikdash for 30 days or however long, right? And I feel like we haven't really approached that at all. For all that we have spent so much of learning of the Daf, talking about the times of the Beit HaMikdash, that hasn't come up here, really. Like a little bit about Kohanim. And here, finally, like there's a recognition of that mourning of the Beit HaMikdash, which, again, it's it's just a, a, a snippet of it. It's barely mentioned. But um, the fact that that is you know, such a profound element of Jewish liturgy and the calendar year with Tisha B'Av and the fast days and so on, meaning I just wanted to take note of the fact that it's kind of here for the first time. 
Um, perhaps not exactly the first time, but but um, in, in this context of tearing Kriya. Okay, I want to move on and talk about, well, so again, it, we're still, the whole daf really is about tearing Kriya. What does it mean to rend a garment? And here, you know, the, the Gemara goes on to talk about the different relatives and specifically what happens if, Rachman al-Islana, would happen that a person would discover the news of two or more, you know, um, deaths, really, basically at once, but not quite at once. So the Gemara says as follows, or quotes a brighter, Tanu Rabbanan, Amrulo mate Aviv. So the, there, a person is told that his father has died, Vekara, and he tears Kriya, mate Beno. So now he, and then they tell him that his son has died. And the terrible thing is I actually know somebody this happened to, um, where in the same accident, terrible situation, both father and both the person's both father, his father and his son died in the same terrible, terrible uh, car accident. Um, so what happened? So then they tell him that his son has died, Vahosif. So in this scenario, and this is not necessarily the way we would practice it today, but one of the ways to do it is that he he adds to the Kriya. He he tears more than he had done before. Tachton mit'acheh, elyon eno mit'acheh. So he says you can tear the, when you tear that lower portion, because you can't fix it afterwards. Meaning, don't don't tear Kriya and then go sew it up. Right, that's not the point here at all. Um, but the upper part, meaning because it's been an an extra long uh, tear, then you could, you could tear the. Um, no, wait. I'm sorry. I've said it backwards. I've said it. I've said it backwards. You can tear the portion. You can re. You can mend. That's what the word I'm looking for. You can mend the tear that has been added for the sun. But Elyon, meaning the part, the upper part that where the tearing was first for the for the parent, that cannot be mended. The idea is that you know the mourning for a parent can never be. I, I don't know why the mourning for anybody can ever be fixed, but but specifically, there's a different status, and we've seen this throughout that there's a different status for the mourning as it applies to parents. So the Gemara goes on a different case. Mate Beno Vikara. So he tears. He's informed that his son has died, and he tears Kriya. Mate Aviv, then he's told that his father died, Vosif, and he tears further. Elyon mitacher tachton eno mitacher, and then it's the same, um, the same rubric but backwards, right? Then you could mend the bottom, the upper part that was the son Kriya part, and not the bottom part that was the father. Kriya part, meaning again the status of parents being uh, separate and distinct. And then what happens if they said all at once? And you know this is I I want to say that these are kind of very terrible scenarios to think about in the reality of them. And we know that there certainly have been times in Jewish history where there were such realities, or even not without without Jewish history. Just there's some sometimes terrible situations. But I think also that for the most part the exploration of you know the math of the math of this like what would happen if this person and then that person and that meaning there's a question of just how 
just how it kind of fits together. So this case is more like that kind of exploratory scenario as opposed to it being, you know, a reality check. A reality situation. Mate Aviv, mate Imo, mate Achiv, mate Achota, Korea Kera Achad Lakulan. So the the position here is that if all of these people, his father, his mother, his brother, and his sister, all died, then he can make one one kriya tear kriya once for all of them. Meaning, if the news comes at once, then he tears kriya once. Rabbi Huda ben Bateiro Mer Al Kulan Kera Achad Al Aviv Imo Kera Achad. So Rebuta ben Batera has a different position on this, meaning the news all comes at once, and he tears Kriya for all whatever other relatives there might be, and he tears another Kriya for his parents. Because again, the idea being that you can't add to the Kriya torn for one's parents. Now, it's a little bit different than the first case. The first case says you do, you can add, right? The father dies and then the son dies. So you, he adds to the Kriya, but he can't mend it. So the scenario is slightly different. The principle of the parents having a different status is the same. My time is, so what's the rationale for Rebutum and Pateri's opinion that you cannot add to the to the tearing for a mother or father, meaning as compared to the Breita above? So Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak explains that you cannot be added, meaning you never have more than one father and one mother. Now, when a modern era, and even in the ancient world, where there's always been a phenomenon of blended families, we know that the family structure is not so rigid as to say just one parent, one father and one mother, except that also there's a truth to it in the biology of it. And I think that that's what this, this is a nod to that, right? Like that no matter what, a, no matter what a person does, no matter how many complicated configurations of a family dynamic we can establish at the end of the day, there's still only, you know, one father and one mother to each living person uh, from a who gave you life kind of way. And then Shmuel explains that the halacha, Amar Shmuel halacha karebi Yudah ben Batera, he says the halacha is in this, in this vein, that you make two, you would have two kriyas, one for the everybody else and one for the parents. Umi Amar Shmuel hachi, where did, where did, who says, or where did Shmuel actually say this? Va Amar Shmuel halacha kedivreya mekel ba'evel. We already know that Shmuel has weighed in and says that we always take the mekel, the lenient position when it comes to avelut. So then how can you say that he has to tear Kriya twice? That's a more machmir position. That's a more stringent position. So the Gemara concludes, Avelut lachud kriya lachud. Avelut lachud, meaning the laws of mourning are their own story. And tearing Kriya, even though that sounds to us like it's part of mourning, is a different, it's its own different story. Um, and... And that, I think, is also an interesting comment, meaning tearing Kriya, and I think, Yardina, you might be the one who discussed that it's this kind of, you know, in the throes of emotion. You don't tear Kriya if you're not feeling it type of thing. Halakhically, you might, but but that's the idea that tearing Kriya is a visceral reaction to the terrible news that has befallen you, um, I, I think, is a recognition that that's its own thing, and it's a different it's part, I mean, we think of it as part of the whole mourning story, but it's not the halachot of mourning in terms of can you go to work and so on, right? The uh, The details here are 
important, I think, because they really do kind of separate the different kinds of categories of practice. And they don't talk about the emotion. Here, there's no discussion of the emotion at all. But but what's happening is it's like there's like a, a tacit treatment of different points of of the morning process where indeed, you know, emotion runs differently. Um, at least that's my, that's my read here. I mean, it doesn't say it here at all, but that's my, that's my take. Okay. That's our discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about this daf and Darren Kriya. And again, there's a very matter of fact way that the Gemara talks about what is otherwise very, very difficult material. Um, certainly emotionally. Um, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.